Just for a moment, turn to Matthew chapter 16. We'll use Matthew 16 tonight to get started. We're talking about the subject, have you? Have you, and then the question mark, meaning have you what? Well, have you been born again? And you need to know if you have. You shouldn't assume that you have because if you have been born again, you are a new person in Christ. Old things have passed away. If they have not, and you're still as you were, you have not been born again, but you can be. Praise the Lord. Secondly, have you been baptized in water? That is so simple to do, and it's fundamental in the Christian faith. When you're saved, you're baptized. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Third thing, have you received the Holy Spirit? And while some say, well, you get all of that when you're born again, that's not necessarily true. A lot of people probably did because a lot of things happened at once with them. But uh, it is a subsequent experience to your new birth. And have you received the Holy Spirit yet? I mean, you need that. I, don't, I can't imagine in the New Testament church trying to accomplish anything without the empowering of the Holy Spirit in their lives. In the, again, in the early church, when, when they heard that somebody had received the word of God, like Samaria in Acts chapter 8, immediately when the word of that got to Jerusalem, the apostles heard of it, they sent two apostles down there. They no doubt had inquired, did they also receive the Holy Spirit? Otherwise, they wouldn't have sent down there to do that if they hadn't have heard that, or up to Samaria. So they went to Samaria, and they went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, for as yet he was fallen on none of them. So they prayed for them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. It's everywhere you go. Jesus made a big deal out of that. And I think we in the church should also. And while some people think, well, that's so controversial, wasn't intended to be controversial. Man makes it controversial. I praise God for what we call or refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with. John the Baptist said, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. God's gift to the sinner is Jesus. God's gift to the saint is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer as well as the Savior. He is everything. And then last week and the last couple times we've said this, have you joined yourself to a local assembly? That's not a big deal for too many people, but it is in the Bible. Have you joined yourself to a local assembly? Now, in our text here that I wanted to use tonight, Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 18, he said, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Church is assembly, a gathering of born-again believers, specifically born-again believers. And it belongs to Jesus, and it's his church. And he is building it, which means that the people that come into it are not yet what he wants. He brings them there to be built. You remember that? that to be built together? Remember, we are living stones being built together into a holy habitation in the Lord, which in Ephesians 2, Paul said that in the midst of the church, of his assembly, as he puts them together and they begin to be refined and made the way he wants, it will be an atmosphere of worship and praise. So the church is being built. The builders are those ministries that God sends. We'll get to that shortly. And the purpose of these ministries is to do the will of God in dealing with God's people. It's not to make a name for themselves, make a big ministry for themselves, but to recognize that the minister is God. We are extensions of his ministry. The apostles were extensions of God's apostolic power. Prophets were the same thing, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. It's how God does what he does specifically through various men. These are the way that people come to the church. It's just what the Lord does. Now, Major the last week on, or the, maybe the last couple of weeks, 
on the fact that the big problem, one of the big problems in the mindset, the attitude of church people, believers, is that they have a picture of two, two churches. They have this Catholic view of the mystical, visible church on the earth, and they are the church, and if you're a part of the church and you're a Catholic and so forth, and in the Reformation period when Luther was dismissed or excommunicated from the Catholic church, he maintained that he was still saved, but he, he wasn't in that church, which in the way of the day and the way the Catholics explained it all, you were not even a Christian. You, weren't, you couldn't go to heaven unless you were in a Catholic church. Maybe a lot of them still believe that. I don't know. But Luther, upon study, said, well, the kingdom of God is within you. Therefore, it's invisible. And he knew that he was a part of that kingdom. And so he, began to, he came up with the Reformation view. The, the reformers went this way, that the church is universal. It's invisible. And, and, you're, and you're a part of it. And the church is everywhere, and uh, wherever there's a Christian and wherever saints of old were, that's where the church is. And actually, the people in that time and up to the present day and down through the years, the, the minds of Christian church people have been, have been altered to see that it's good to go to a local church, but it doesn't affect my salvation because I'm already in the mystical, unseen something out there somewhere. I'm a part of that, whatever. They can't even define it. Uh, the heavenly church. I'm a part of that, whether I'm a part of this or not. And so therefore, the local church does become an option. You should go. You ought to go. But if you don't go, it really doesn't matter. It's not going to affect whether or not you're saved. So if it doesn't really affect whether or not you're saved or how God may will deal with you at the end, then it's not a big deal. And people miss church without a problem. They go whatever church they want to, when they want to, if they want to, and so forth. And they have this independent mindset that if you don't like this one, we'll go to another one. And if you don't like that one, then we'll go to another one. And the local church has, uh, has become a non-issue with so many people. But I believe this, that the local assembly is not universal. It has an address for us. It's whatever, 558 Pierce Industrial Road. I think that's what this is. And uh, this is where this particular assembly meets. This particular gathering of people is a picture of the body of Christ. It's what the body of Christ is. God has put in it somebody to, to lead it. He's got people in it to follow. And it functions to bring about his will in us. And where two or more gather together, he's there in the midst of them. We are, by God's choice, members one of another. We are not free to pick and choose whatever we want. We haven't been given that option. But God puts us here. He wants us here. And uh, we are members of, a, of each other, uh, of a local group, and not just some group somewhere. There are a lot of people who believe that, you know, if you're born again, you're in the big church, and therefore you're a member of any of them and all of them. How many of you know that a man who is a deacon in this church is not a deacon in the Baptist church? Or if you were a pastor here, you couldn't just say, I think I'll go pastor the the Methodist this morning. Oh, I'm a pastor, aren't I? Yes, but not there. Well, why not? Aren't we a part of the big system? Yeah, but that's, well, you, that's about what you get. That's. When tongues, that was just uncertainty. If you're a member of a local assembly, you have chosen to go there believing that God puts you there. That's where you belong. We meet specifically somewhere. We are learning to know each other. God is doing what he does with us. This is where we belong. I'm a pastor here. Your member's here. We don't have a role. If somebody's often wanted to print a catalog for us, Several people through the years wanted to give us a, uh, like a phone book. If you give us all the members and their phone number, I said, not a chance, not a chance. The last thing I want is for all of us to be hooked up in one piece of paper with all of our names, addresses, and phone numbers on it. Well, that'd be good for us to know how to call each other. You can find each other's name if you need to. 
We don't need that. We don't have a membership role. We're not a government church. We don't have boards that meet and define what we're going to do or how we're going to do it. We're not an institutional program. We're not democratically controlled here. We don't vote. Because in the New Testament church, they didn't either. I'm sure they had to get together on occasion to determine things. We know that in Acts 15, the apostles got together to find out what to do about this or that. And so it's not like we are shunning any kind of organization because we are organized. It's very simple because I think it ought to be simple. And I believe that's the way God wants us to do it. But there's a lot of people that feel like they can come and go as they please. Nobody here has the right to come and go as you please. There's reasons you can't come. There's times that you're restrained or restricted or you're out of town or maybe you're going through a trial and you shouldn't spread that around, whatever your mindset is. And there's times that we aren't here. We miss church. But to stay home because, well, there's a ball game on tonight or, well, I don't feel, I don't want to go tonight. But I said, well, I don't feel good. I just don't, I just don't feel good tonight. Well, don't you think you could get prayed for? What a testimony to your faith. To say, well, I don't feel good. I don't mean feel so bad that you can't walk or get out of your bed or off your couch. I had a long day today. I'm kind of stiff and tired. I don't want to go tonight. That's a pitiful testimony. With the message that is preached about trusting the Lord and God is able and he has power and all of that, and to come up with that kind of an attitude means that you put little emphasis on the church. It should be that, with, that because God set us here, this is where we belong, this is where we should be, and this is where I, this is where I belong. See, otherwise, if you don't have a connection, a commitment to a local assembly, somewhere that you have to say, I believe in my heart, God put me here. I'm not just here to visit and see if I like it and then just go somewhere. I believe God put me here. Now, maybe you're one of those that just heard about this, and you're thinking, well, I don't know where to go. But we can sit down and talk about that. But here's what happens. Say somebody is disciplined. You've heard of church discipline before. When somebody, for a scriptural reason, is put out of the church for at least a season, or for maybe for longer than that. If the local church isn't anything of great value, so what do they do? They go to another church, and who cares what happened here? The other church doesn't mind. And, and therefore, church discipline has little effect today because you don't feel like you're really committed to a body, that if I'm not here, where am I? Where do I go fellowship if I'm not, I don't belong somewhere else, I belong here. And yet if I get put out of here for a lot of people, it's just no big deal. They go somewhere else or they, it just doesn't have any effect. That's what this universal church stuff has done to people's mindset down through the years. And it's hard to find somebody today who says, this is where I belong. This is where I'm going to be. When the doors are open and I can be there, I'm going to be there because I'm a part of this. We're like a big typewriter. And we can't type a letter to anybody if the E and the F aren't here. Or the A, the E, the I, and the O. If they don't come, we have little of a message that we can tell. Nobody knows how committed you are better than your family. You know, daddy doesn't want to go tonight. Mom doesn't want to go tonight because of what? What supersedes that commitment you made a long time ago or recently about going to church, being a part of an assembly, functioning there, believing God puts you there, and then not going because you don't want to? What kind of message does that send to your children or your neighbor next door? Or that person you're witnessing to in which you go over to watch a ball game, the Super Bowl night, instead of meeting another old dull Wednesday night assembly. They don't do it on Wednesday night, but you know what I'm saying. You don't have much to preach to somebody about if it doesn't mean a lot to you. I can tell you this. I mean, everybody has his own personal view, I suppose. But this is where I belong. I can't speak for anybody else. I can maybe Bonnie. I know, I know that God brought me here. I know that he put me here. I know three or four times I've tried to go somewhere else and there were some deals cooking, but I could not let go of what I knew was 
happened a long time ago that God brought me back to this town where I came once, and then I left because they wanted me to do what I'm doing. And I was unwilling to do it. I had to go learn the hard way to go back and do it. But this is where I belong, even when I'm gone on trips, going on a vacation. God knows while I'm gone. Maybe it's because of the nature of what I'm doing as a pastor. I mean, it's on my mind all the time. What are you going to speak about when you get back home? Well, you need to get back home. You know, I've, all, I've always been, I, I've, I got to go, I got to go. But sometimes I don't enjoy a long trip because I know I need to get back and do what, I, what I'm supposed to do. It's good to take a trip. It's good to take time off. I know that. But I know where I belong. And there's a commitment here. And I think that should be true with all of us. Maybe some don't see it that way, but I, I think that you probably, if you think about it, you will. I said there's primarily two things last week that we do as a church that comprises a church or makes up a church. You have leaders called sheep and shepherd, and you have followers. The primary purpose of pastors, because a pastor is not a mobile ministry, not a traveling ministry like an apostle and a a prophet or an evangelist, maybe a teacher who's always engaged in traveling around. Pastoral ministry is local. It's non-mobile. And the, look in Acts 20, in verse 28. The purpose and the function of the pastoral ministry is very simple. He's likened unto a shepherd. The people are likened unto sheep who without a shepherd, and it's proven out with the people who have this universal attitude, sheep without shepherds wander everywhere. They get into error. They get into trouble. Nobody can correct them. You can't, you can't tell where they came from or what kind of testimony they have because they belong to nothing. But he said in Acts 20, when Paul had gathered all these elders together in Ephesus, and he was speaking to them, he said that your job and your duty is to feed the sheep. That's what he said, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, that's you all, over which the Holy Ghost, that's the calling of God, a school and a seminary cannot do this. Did you hear me? There is no institution of higher learning, no matter how noble it is and no matter how brilliant its academics are, nobody can replace the call of the Holy Spirit. You can learn a lot of things and not saying that. You can learn a lot of good things. I agree with that. But there is a difference between academics and the anointing. There's a difference. Sometimes academically, people get intelligent or heady and they get uh, smart about things, but they don't know how to move in the spirit because the pastor can't or the leader can't. But he said, over to which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the flock of God, to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's his church. You're not my people. You're his people. I'm his people. Primarily, the pastor's job is to oversee, to keep an eye on, to keep a check on, to feed, to warn, and to teach. That's what we do. That's our job. People complain about it, come and go, they have no idea what's behind why you're here and what's going on or wherever they are. But it's kind of a job to tell you the truth. If you're not careful, you can get bored with it. You can get a little bit put off with it because sometimes people, I think, sometimes people just sort of take you for granted. Eh, well, you know, that's just, that's just brother so-and-so. When actually you need to, again, God speaks to us every time we meet. If we are called together under his in obedience to his call, and we come together to speak. I don't care what we're talking about. God can always speak to whoever wants to be spoken to, whoever. And when you get an attitude that says, oh, I don't know about that, then chances are you'll only get deeper and deeper in your boredom or you get this 
lethargic, dull attitude, and it doesn't mean much anymore. You kind of get stale. Instead of living waters, you got a dead swamp, and it's just not like it ought to be or like it used to be or like you want it to be. But the ultimate goal of a pastor, I think, is 1 Timothy 4, where he says, uh, Timothy, you do this and you do that, you do this and you study and you learn and pray and you exhort and so forth. For in doing this, you shall not only save yourself, but all those that hear you. Isn't that what we're about? Listen, this happens, what I'm talking about, happens in the local church. I'm not obligated to visitors. I'm not obligated to strangers that come in off the street or just pass through or people that come by once in a while. I'm, you know, I'm glad they're here. I'm glad they hear the word. But my commitment is not to them, it's to you. Because I'm a pastor of this assembly, period. My job is to prepare for this assembly to preach to these people. I cannot make you come. I cannot make you listen. I cannot learn you. You have to be willing, and you have to commit yourself to getting that because God can give that if you want that. If you hunger and thirst after his right ways, you shall be filled. And it's entirely something that you must be willing to do. So sheep and shepherds. Shepherds feed sheep. Sheep are to become disciples. Now, tonight, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And I ask you the question, who is the church for? What was the purpose of the church? Who's it for? Well, the church is for, specifically, born-again believers. Born-again believers. What could you teach a man who was not? Who is the church for? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, I'm sure you're familiar with this. You, you should be because we, we refer to this often. But in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, for the perfecting, he gave these gifts, ministry gifts to the church for three things, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministering, for the edifying of the body of, of Christ. The first thing he mentions here is for the perfecting of the saints. While a lot of people come to church and assume they are members because they attend, but they have never been born again, they are not saints. Would you agree with that? How many of you believe that coming off the street or coming with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a family member, brother, sister, aunt, or uncle, and trying to get your life in order, and you just start going to church, and you sit here every time we meet for three or four months, that does not make you born again. There are certain things you'll learn. You'll pick up on things. You may even get convicted about some things. But none of that, none of the learning, the teaching, the activity of participating in a local body can make you born again. The new birth is something specifically that only God does and can do. And it happens the way that it happens. Brings There's conviction, there's repentance, and then there's, there's a turning around and turning to God, and he puts in you a new life. Only God can do that. There's no work, no activity that a man can be involved in in which that happens. So those who are a part of a local assembly are those who are born again. I don't care if you were born here and you've been here your whole life. If you're not born again, then this is not for you. I'm glad you're here. Don't get me wrong because you get born again if you stay. The church is for saints. And you notice in verse 12 that one of the three things he said, he said, for the perfecting of the saints. We've been through this word through the years a lot. It means to make fully ready. It means to put in right order. The word in Galatians, it's, Paul said, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, remember that? He said, you who are spiritual, Restore such a one. Now, here's a brother who's overtaken in a fault. He's uh, messed up. His sin can separate him from God. That's what the Bible says. Now, caring, concerned, loving people don't want to see this man perish or get overwhelmed in his failings and disappear. So, those of you who are spiritual, 
is the Bible says, restore such a one. Now, the word restore means to bring him back, say what needs to be said, pray with him, whatever you got to do to be a part of his being brought back into what he needs to be into. The word restore, in that sense, is the same as our word perfecting or the perfecting of the saints, and it means to put in right order. Now, who does this? Whose responsibility is it to do this? What's verse 11 say in Ephesians 4? Would you agree with me that it's the responsibility of ministry? Would not a prophetic word, maybe a word of warning, cause somebody to recover out of his sin or complacency and be turned to God? Or the apostolic words and gifts that they have, they could read your mail, a word of knowledge. I see that you, God just showed me that you, and then he tells you something, and you go, oh. then he gives you a word of wisdom and tells you what you need to do. Or other gifts operate. The whole purpose is recovery, restoration, in this case, perfecting of the saints. A teacher could teach on things in which you get guilty and you think, man, I, oh, God, that's right. I, uh, teaching does that. The evangelist, of course, calls attention to people's sins. They need to be saved. And then there's a pastor who labors in the word week after week, maybe saying the same thing to the same people over and over until they get it. Because if they don't get it, all you're doing is preaching. You're just preaching sermons and people come to hear sermons, but nothing's happening. So it's a labor. You got to work at dealing with people's lives and saying what you got to say. And I'll say this, there's some people I do believe you can help. There's some people I don't know that you can't. There's just something there. But he said that for the perfecting of the saints, second thing, he said for the work of ministry, the ministry, the word ministry is the word from which we get deacons or serving. And it has to do with service. I suspect that all of us in our lives are taught to be served. To expect people to do for you. To uh, look out for yourself. And sorry about you, but I'm looking out for myself. And yet, the more this word gets settled down in your heart, the more you see life ain't about you. Life isn't about, you're in a bigger picture now. You're in, a, you're in a body now. And being in a body, there's no one particular part that is better than any other part. We all need each other. You know, as I mentioned the other day, when, when you've got a scratch on your shoulder blade, your toe isn't worth a nickel. You can't get it back there to scratch, but your hand can. Under the guidance of the mind, the brain, the head, Christ sends your finger back there to minister to this brother or this sister. And in various and wonderful ways, God puts us together to serve, to love one another, to esteem others as better than yourself, to seek another's well-being before your own. There's this teaching that has to settle down in a heart that crucifies that selfishness that we, that we grew up with. This my way or I'm going to cry about it and stomp your foot and throw a fit. That stuff's got to die, so you teach about it. People take offense at it. They think you're picking on them, but you teach it anyway. Because if you don't deal with that, God will. Trust me with this one. It's much better for you to deal with your problems than for God to deal with them. I mean, it's, it's like God said, now look, if, if you don't want to turn around, I'll turn you around. Oh, no, no, I will turn around. I will. I will. You read the book of Job and then say, I will turn around. Don't do it. I'll, I'll go ahead and turn around. So you see God puts ministry in the church laboring in these areas, looking at people for what they are. They need to be built. They're not prepared. They don't know how to fit together. They complain and they clamor and they, rah, 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 why we gotta, you grew up like that. That's your nature. And it's got to go. And, and it has to change. And your mind, uh, and there's something that we quote every week in Romans 12 too, that, that your mind has to be renewed you got to see it God's way. Your ways, he said in Isaiah 55, your ways are not my ways. Oh, I know you're full of yourself and you're really great, but, but you're not what heaven's about. And the kingdom of God doesn't revolve around any of us. 
He plucked us out of, the, out of death and judgment, brought our miserable little selves to him, and put all these little heady things together, and they just clash and bump into each other, and I tell you, and, and the poor preacher has to go in there and say, all right, sit down, let's deal with this. And you got to deal with it. And hopefully as the Spirit of God begins to minister to those who are willing to listen and give heed, through the word is spoken, they begin to do things. The Spirit of God begins to refine us. Is that still in the Bible about refiners? Uh, he shall sit as a smelter and a refiner of silver. He shall refine the sons of Levi. What does he do? He melts them, and then the scum comes to the surface. He scrapes it off, and he keeps doing it until it's purified. That's what should be happening with us. If it's not happening to us, if there's no urgency of some degree in our hearts to become more like Christ and less like we used to be, then there's something flawed in our nature still. Because God has a, has a right to judge us anytime he wants to. But isn't he long-suffering putting up with us? Even when we mess up, I mean, we mess up sometimes so bad but it's not God's desire to crush you. If God just wanted to judge people, he wouldn't have sent Jonah to Assyria. He'd just smash the Assyrians. But as bad as they were, Assyria were bad people. It's like Broadway down in, in New York City. I mean, bad. Or San Francisco, wherever, I mean, wherever it is. It's just bad. And Jonah said, I don't want them to repent. I want them to be, boom. God said, I'm going to send you down there to preach to him. And Jonah knew, I think, in his heart that God is the, the nature of God is to forgive and to love. And he knew he would, and he did. And Jonah, remember that story of Jonah? He does the same thing with us. For in a lot of ways, spiritually, we're no different than Assyria. And God could leave us alone and let us have a word that just puts us to sleep and takes us back 30 years to where, like our parents, we didn't mean anything. He could do that. And yet, he keeps bringing us together. We still get hollered at. We get fussed at. We slam on the pulpit. Come short of calling names. Why? Because he wants to get our attention so he can do his work. This is what the purpose of ministry is. If it's not doing that, what in the world is it doing? Making itself a big name, trying to get a big crowd? That's not what God is doing. That's not what, if you get a big crowd, God can bring them. He sure can. But look at another thing in Ephesians 4 and verse 12. For the edifying of the saints. <clears throat> for the edifying of the saints, it simply means to, to be edified for your spiritual profit, for your advancement. One writer said in, in Christian worship, individuals ought to be concerned how they can spiritually benefit by what they do or what they say. We are a part of each other, are we not? Living stones being built together, so different in so many ways and so irritating each other in so many ways, and yet the purpose of the word is like refiner's fire. He shall cleanse his church. How? How will God sanctify, set apart, and cleanse his church? With the washing of water, by the word. I think that's something you need to avail yourself to as often as you can. Week after week. You can't do that if you're a cruisomatic. If you just wander around a member of some mystical, undefined church with no address, you just go as you please. I don't want to go, man, I'm free. I can go, but I'm free. You know what? You're not, you're not free to do that. But if you want to do that, you can. God will let you do that, but you'll be judged for it. Because God left nobody alone after he saves them. He will put us all somewhere. And he will not put you somewhere you'll die, but somewhere you'll live. And, and, and you got to do whatever you do. And, and for those in the past who said, well, why do people move to your church? Ask one of them. Bunch of them here. Ask one of them. Grab one. They don't mind being grabbed if you do it right. And you grab them at the door back there and say, why'd you move here? They'll tell you. In a lot of ways, God has accosted us 
put us somewhere so that he can deal with us, so that he can refine us, correct us, not always by somebody you would have picked to be the refiner or the preacher. But it doesn't matter to us because if it's anointed, your speech and your preaching doesn't have to be enticing. doesn't have to be clever and wow, isn't that good? doesn't have to be like that. It just has to hit the proverbial nail on the proverbial head and bring conviction. And when you walk out of here convicted about something, now God can lead you to a level a little higher than you were because your conviction's design is to take you to the next level. But to get there, you have to respond to what you're convicted to and make a decision, maybe you haven't made before, to go that level and then keep going up. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that what this is about? That's what he said in Ephesians 4. These ministries, he said, you put them in the church not to be ignored, not to make a church out of, not to make some hero out of them. They're just vessels. They're all, every one of them, when you come right down to the greatest of our age or any age, they are all unprofitable service. From Elijah down to the Hamilton. That's pretty extreme just unprofitable servants, and yet the reward, if done with the heart, is equal. Isn't that amazing? For God only requires us to do what he gave us to do. Isn't that right? If he gave you a lot to do, you do a lot. If he gave you a little bit to do, and you do the little bit he told you to do, great is your reward also. Because everything at some point will connect. I don't know what people do that don't go to church or go very seldom or go occasionally. I don't know what they do. I don't know how they're going to cope with the days just down the road. I don't know. That's not my concern. There's, like I said a while ago, there are people that I can reach and people that I cannot reach. Now, I ended last week with this question. Then how do we get ourselves into a local assembly? I mean, what are the requirements can I just walk in off the street and join and, and get in a pew? People have done it all the time. I've been here for a long time. I think that some people feel like that. If they just start coming, they're members. You're required to answer for them, to deal with them, to go spend time with them and everything. They, you know, they kind of own a piece of you. They didn't ask you if they could come. They just came in and started going. Yeah, I used to go to so-and-so's church, but I, just started, I started going to this, this church. I kind of like this church. Do you really think that makes you a member of that church? Do you really think you're a member of any body of believers because you decided to start going? You're not. There's a way that you do things. And before I do, before I get to that in closing tonight, what are the requirements that a local assembly would have? What would a church like ours require of you? If you want to be a member in good standing here, a participant if membership is wrong, if you want to be a participant here, what should we require? What, should, what we, should we expect from you? Let me give you a few things. One, we should expect you to be born again. And when you come in and talk to the pastor about becoming a part of the church or will he accept you, one of the questions you might get asked is, have you been born again? If you haven't been born again, you still got a natural mind. You have a natural way of seeing things. You still have a natural lean to the world? How could an unsaved person who could legitimately be called an unregenerate or a heathen, how could you be a part of a church if you're unregenerate? But people do get in because the Bible says in the last days God will separate in his church the good sheep from the bad sheep, the good fish from the bad fish, the wheat from the tares. He makes that illustration. They're all growing together. Remember that when Jesus, they said, we'll root them up. He said, no, leave them alone. Let them grow how? Together. And at the end, during the harvest, at the harvest, he will separate the good from the bad. So we know they're here. I'm not saying I know that some of you are bad, some of you are good. I hope you're all good. I do. I do. But only God can see the heart. I, I've been fooled a number of times in my life, but 
God alone can see the heart. I, I treat everybody here like they're saved. But I question a lot of people's salvation because I don't see in it what the Bible says should be in it. And therefore, you preach about that. You make points about that a lot because if they're not saved, you want them to hear something that will alert them to this and make them see what you're saying. Maybe I need to get right with God. I've told people that before. I've, not long ago, I told a person, I said, you know, I, I don't think you've ever been saved. You don't? No, I don't. I cannot imagine a saved person alive with the Spirit to do what you did. I don't think it works like that. And I, I believe, unless something you can explain something that is over my head, because I believe that... Uh, if you're born again, you live a certain way. Well, I would require you to be born again. If you want to call yourself a participant, you must be born again. Second thing, I think you should be filled with the Spirit. Because Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you in John 16. He said, but you can't bear it now. He said, how be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Well, how could any individual here be guided into more truth or greater truth without the Holy Spirit? And if you assume you have the Holy Spirit, then you should be advancing spiritually. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He never leaves you alone. His grip is on your life, constantly pointing you to higher ground, the measure of the stature of the fullness, constantly going that way, constantly leading and guiding, whispering in your ear, speaking to you about your life and about your great needs, keeping you in, in tune with the Lord, ha having God in all your thoughts. Because that's what we're about. That's what we're supposed to be about. A third thing that we would say as a requirement is that you should be willing to participate in each meeting. You come to worship, you should worship. You should not only come to worship, but you should give. You should support the local assembly. You should, if it prays, you should pray. If it has days we do things, and if you can, you should help. I mean, it's your body, it's the Lord's body, but it's what you're a part of. And so it should be required that uh, you're not exempt from being a part of what we do. But if we do something, I would think you should be here, don't you? Well, whether you do or not, let that be true. Remember what Paul wrote? If Paul wrote Hebrews, why not? Hebrews 10, 25, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. Turn to Hebrews 10 and verse 25. This is not a good thing to do this because he says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as is what? As is the manner of some. But he said, again, you have that obligation. We all do as our brother's keeper but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We've been talking about the day that is coming. And one of the things a body of believers as that day approaches should find themselves doing more and more of is encouraging, edifying one another, speaking to one another, whether it's psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I haven't seen anybody do it as that, is, as that verse reads. <clears throat> Going up and speaking to somebody in a song. Hi, how are you today? It's good to see you. I don't think that's what it means. But anyway, I don't know how you read verse 25. Personally, opinion, feelings, whatever. I don't know how you read as a Christian verse 25 and ignore it. Because you see, forsaking is a choice. I choose not to go. I choose not to be there. Why not? Because there's something more important to me in my time on this earth than to take this one night or this one morning and be there where I avail myself to something God may have to say to me. I'm not here grudgingly any more than I would give grudgingly. You get nothing if you give that way. You get nothing if you, I got to go to church. You get nothing that way either. There's got to be something more about you than that. But you should be a willing participant. Another thing is you should support the church. I mentioned that also in that. But you should be willing to support the church. There are bills to pay. There are needs to be met. And, and I'm not talking about just giving. 
as an offering in the box, but also there are needs occasionally that come up and we all can get together, trips foreign countries or somebody in the church has a great need or a problem comes up, financial problem somebody, and we're alerted to that. We're part of this. Some can do obviously more than others. Some may not be able to do much at all. I'm just saying that it's in our heart to do it. We become people-oriented when, when the Lord builds his church. We become each other-minded. If you see a brother have need and you close up your heart of compassion from him, he says, how does the love of God dwell in you? And, and we can't individually meet everybody else's need. He didn't say that. He just said, if you don't have any compassion for people's needs, you'll have needs yourself one day and nobody will have any compassion on you. Another thing is loving submission to the God-ordained ministry. If you don't respect the ministry in the church, you'll get little out of the service. Amen. Hebrews 13 again. You were there the other day. Quickly, Hebrews 13, verse 7 and verse 17. Hebrews. Loving submission, which means whatever I tell you ought to do, you, you go do it. That's not what that means, is it? Submission, listen to me. Submission is a military word, which means to rank under. It's to recognize a higher rank. Not more worth. Nobody is better than anybody else. But God has put people over people in the church for the purpose of overseeing the church, for guiding the church. And those in the church are should... Re- recognize this, not a superior person, not anybody better than you are, a human being just like you, is vulnerable just like you are, facing the same, we all face the same kind of temptations and trials. Nobody is elitist here, but there are people that have a different call, that kind of call because God gave it. There's a certain amount of respect for it. And the respect will be seen in the form of submission, recognizing the rank, honoring it, and be willing to listen to it and respond to it as long as it doesn't ask you to do something that would violate your convictions. Nobody in here has a right to be told what to do because the preacher said it. But if what the preacher says is what the Lord says and you're to search the scriptures and find that out, then you thank God for his word and you respond to that because God said it. Now, we need leadership. There's not a time the church didn't need it. Sheep will not go anywhere if they don't have a shepherd except in the stomach of a wolf. because They will be devoured. But in Hebrews 13 and verse 7, we read this the other day. Remember them which have the rule over you, the oversight over you. You willingly accept that who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their life or their behavior or their manner of life. Verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. I could go back to 1 Thessalonians because it's not that far behind me, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, listen at these words. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12. He said, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 Paul wrote, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. That's what ministry is called to do. It is indeed a labor of love. It doesn't have a lot of lavish praises to it if it's done right. It's just a, it's a ministry. It functions, and its design is for our well-being. It really is. And if a person's not committed to that local assembly, how would you pastor them? How could a man lead a sheep that didn't want to be led? How could you do it? Is that what that big crook was for? Remember the shepherds had that big crook? 
there was this one wayward sheep that had his own idea of how we ought to go. And he kept wandering off and had to go leave the 99 and go find the one. Somebody went out and got that little sheep, had to put him on her neck because his leg was broke, and he brought him back. How did he get his leg broke? Well, he must have stumbled and fell, but chances are he won't run off again. So that means I get to break legs. No. But the shepherd had ways of dealing with sheep so that the sheep got the message that you're not free to do as you please. You belong with this flock. You go with the flock. This is your life. And there is safety here. There is protection here. There is blessing here. Your shepherd is just a human being. He doesn't have all the answers, but when God gives him a way and a direction, you should listen to it and you should follow it. I think another thing, you should be, you should be expected to live a life consistent with the Christian faith. Talk about the faith life. I know that's a struggle for a lot of people. Every time there's a failure, every time something didn't turn out right, people curl up in a little ball and they start whimpering, oh, what are we going to do? It's, oh, well, I didn't know what it's going to do. There's never a reason. There's never a time that there's not an answer to all of our failures. Amen? And it's never God's fault. God doesn't say, well, let me see. We haven't, let me see. Hamilton hadn't had a headache in a while. I think I'll just give him one. Not like that. But if there was a reason why something, I'm just making this up, I'm not talking about anybody, but if there is a reason, if that's an open door to that kind of a spirit of infirmity, then it happens not because God said you ought to just have a headache or a rheumatism or whatever it is people have, but you have that because that's an open door in your life. Now, if you come and listen to what the Bible says, you can get that door shut. Because eventually we'll teach on deliverance. We'll, te we'll teach on warfare about demonic invasions and how you wrestle and deal with the devil and how the devil's limited in what he can do. But if you give place to him, he can do a lot of things that you, you won't even fight against. Well, if God wants this to happen, it's not true. You, you can be set free from so many things. Christians can be set free from so much. But you've got to live a life that is consistent. In Deuteronomy 5.33 and Jeremiah 7.23, they say the same thing. That He said that you should walk in all the ways that he has commanded us. What does commanded mean? Was it a suggestion? It is a way. It is the way. There's no option. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what? Teaching them, Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We don't have any options. It would be nice to have one every now and then where I ain't going to preach on that because that winds somebody's clock right there. Nope, just keep winding it because eventually you'll either let go and get out of here or you'll repent and get it right with the Lord. You'll make a decision one, one way or the other. You'll either get in it or you'll get out of it. We just have to lean on you and keep saying it over and over and over. I think thirdly, we ought to be willing to be in agreement with what is taught. Don't you agree with that? Why would you want to sit here and aggravate yourself week after week? If you don't agree with what's taught, why would you stay here? I don't mean a point here, a point there. You might not believe in, in something about the Holy Spirit or tongues or the rapture or something. But to go out of here aggravated week after week because I don't believe in that stuff, why are you here? God didn't send you here to be aggravated. I believe there's a spirit of aggravation. But we don't need it here. There's no, there's no call for that. Amen. Is the church an exclusive thing? Can anybody join it? Or do you have to have permission? Now, you're born into the kingdom of God. You know that. But you're not born into a church. There's membership into a church. There's, a, there's an acceptance in a local assembly that I think you have to realize and, and accept. Because I don't think just walking off the street coming in here makes you a member. Because if you come in here and you're not saved, that means that unsaved people are wanting to walk with the Lord. And you can't. That's why we struggle so much. 
Besides that, who, I don't even know who you are. That'd be like somebody, a total stranger walking in here that we didn't know and started prophesying, telling us all what the, everybody take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Well, I don't think I'd take mine off. I might say, who, who are you? We don't even know who you are. At what church have you been proven as an apostle? Who endorses you? Who's your pastor? Where did you come from? Who sent you here? You see, almost in the denominational structured church, I have a paper I wrote years ago that uh, I don't think I've ever used it. But it has to do with for those desiring to be members of SCA. I won't read all of this. But the first paragraph, it says, as pastor, I feel it's my responsibility to watch over the assemblies of saints that God puts into my care. This is not always easy nor simple. Time has shown that I cannot pastor everyone who walks through the door of our assembly, nor that everyone who attends a certain meeting really does not belong or fit in there. In short, it just is not God's will for them to be there or for me to be their pastor. The purpose of this writing is to give you a chance to learn what we believe and where we stand on certain issues and determine if you are in agreement with us. Then a meeting can be arranged with the pastor to discuss your possible membership in SCA. Then there's a, another paragraph there, and then there's some questions that I'll, I'll ask you tonight as I close. I would say, first of all, if you come, you should inform the pastor of your desire to be a member. I'd like to be a part of this church. I like to participate in what you do. I like to function here. I like to be a part of this. I know I'm not free to come and go as I please because I know that you're, you're required to have the oversight of, of my life. And if you don't know who I am or where I came from and you know nothing about me, it'd be hard for you to do. And I've, very few people through the years have asked me if they could come. Some of them have. I've had people drive here. Some of you drove down and talked to me or drove over and so I'd like to come to church. Do you have any reason I couldn't? And we talk for a while. That's the way you should do it. After all, you're asking for me to give an account for your soul. And I don't even know who you are. Don't even know your name. Now, I do most of you all. But I think I have a right to know who the sheep are. I think I'd like to know all of you by name, all of you, and know that I'm accountable to you and that you're accountable to God and this body. I think it should be like that. And... There's some questions that I would ask if we were to sit down and say, well, let's, let's discuss you and this church. I would ask you, first of all, what assembly were you a member of and who was your pastor? Where were you before you came in here and said, I want to be a part of this? Who, who were you setting under? You know what setting under means? Setting under means who was your pastor? Second, I would say, why did you leave where you were? Why did you leave the church you were in or the place you were? Why did you leave there to come here? What's so different about us? Thirdly, I would say, uh, why would you pick SCA? Between here and where you moved from, there were states full of churches. Why'd you come here? What's your reason for coming here? And then I would ask you, are you saved? Have you been born again? Tell me how it happened. Tell me where it happened, when it happened, and how it happened. I asked a preacher that once. One time I was in a Baptist church, and they were having a, a minister they were going to license and, and send out. And I asked him that question. They were meeting in, a, in the basement. The pastor had asked me to come and join them, and I thought, I've never been in one of those. I thought it was good. And they examined the man, asked him a lot of questions, theological questions. And you know what I asked him? I said, have you been born again? And this is, I remember it. I was sitting here and he was sitting right there. And I got this, yeah. And I thought, excuse me. I just thought that's a good question to ask anybody. Have you been born again? Are you saved? You ask, ask me. Yeah, buddy. I sure have. I don't say, well, yeah. Well, I don't assume that you're born again because you're a preacher. I've met preachers who weren't born again. And I don't know of any liberal preacher that's born again. I don't know of any of them, not even one of them. And I know there's a lot of liberal preachers. But I just said, are you born again? I'd like to know, how'd you get born again? Give me your testimony. Let me hear what you have to say. 
I got time, go ahead. That's a good question to ask. And then I would ask, what do you do for a living? What's your occupation? If, if you're doing something I don't think is right, if your occupation is not scriptural, then it gave me a chance to say, well, now you have a problem with that here because whatever. I'm a bartender down at Joe's Saloon. Oh, don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll tithe good, no. We don't want your money. That's not the kind of money. The Lord said, and I'll use his word, he said, do not bring the price of a whore into the church. And if a woman was a prostitute, made a lot of money. God doesn't want that money. That's not right. And, and there's a lot of ways that people make money that is not right. I'm a professional gambler. Man, I won the World Series of Poker. Well, not here. I'll just let you know now before you go any further that that, that won't fly here. I can't. And the reason it won't is because I'll preach against that. And after you've made a bunch of friends, you're going to be so offended and your friends are going to be offended for you. Then I got another problem. Another question I would ask, what do you believe about debt? Being in debt, owing, man, owing people. And the reason I would ask that is not because people don't have debts for some essential things. They have. But some people are just given to borrowing money from each other all the time. I asked a man to leave here once because he kept borrowing from brothers and sisters. And he wasn't paying them back. I called him aside and challenged him on it. And I said, don't do that in the morning. He did it again. I said, you're out of here. I didn't say it like that. I said, I can't pastor you. I cannot give a good account for your soul. And I really don't want you here. Now, either you leave or I'm going to ask you to leave. And he did. And people say, well, where's so-and-so? And I say, well, I guess he left. I guess he left. And I'd ask this, this question, do you celebrate holidays? And not that I'm going to run you off. If you say, oh, I love my Santa time and, and uh, oh, Halloween is coming. I got the neatest. I don't, I just want to know what you believe about the holidays because we don't do that here. Unless you all do it in your attic with the lights turned down low and the, Snow falling, and you got a little record player singing the old white Christmas. <laughs> but if you're big in the holidays, then you'll be so offended three times a year. You'll wear green one night on St. Whoever's Patty's Day, and you'll be offended because of that. Or you'll, you'll have your little ho-ho-ho wreath on your door, and we might, you know. And then you get offended and you sit there and say, well, I can't believe I came over here. But, well, let's settle this before you get here. Before you get settled in here, let me tell you where we are with some things. There's another question I would ask. What do you believe about divorce and remarriage? And I remember once, I remember, he might be listening tonight. I don't know. But if he is, but a brother came down from a state not close and uh, cheerful, exuberant, uh, been in it for quite a while, knew the word well. And I said, okay. He said, I want to move here and be a part of this assembly. He had good answers. And I said, now let me ask you one question. I said, have you been remarried or have you been divorced and remarried? I remember we were sitting on the front pew of the old Clay Street Church. He was sitting on the end. I was sitting back a ways and we were looking at each other. And he said, uh, well, what does that have to do with anything? I said, well, it has to do with a lot with me because I, I have a specific stand on that that I think is right. And besides, you can't avoid teaching on it. If you teach very long in the Bible, you're going to run into that subject. And when I teach on it, I have to teach a position that I have about it because it's not a vague subject. And when I tell you what I believe, because I believe I can back it up with Scripture, you're going to get offended by it. You're going to find yourself, and then if you start yapping to other people, you're going to become schismatic and you're going to start causing dissension in the church, then I've got to deal with a problem we should never had. So before you go any further, if you have been, it won't work here. And as I learned later, somebody told me that he said he was really offended by that. I think, why would you be offended? It's the word. It's my conviction. I am the pastor. Last time I checked... Yeah, I am. I'm still the pastor. But in closing, I would ask questions of a lot of things. How do you feel about the head covering? How do you feel about threefold communion? How about washing of feet? Well, I'm just, I'm just asking how you feel about that. We used to do that. We've done it every 10 years. We do it. 
how do you feel about that? We don't vote here. We don't take the oath. We believe in turning the cheek. How do you feel about that? Are you political? If you are, you won't like it here because we're against all that too. Somebody might say, well, what are you for? Jesus Christ. Amen. So you might want to back off and, and give some new thought to things. I, again, I've had people come here uh, who sat in here for a long time who have never come in and talked to me about being a member. They just assumed, because that's tradition, that you can just start going somewhere and you're a member all of a sudden. That's not New Testament functions. It doesn't work like that. If you want to, if you want to be, you go talk. You talk and, and you listen and you share. If you don't agree, then that's the time to talk about it. Amen. Have you linked yourself with the New Testament church? Have you? Good. Amen.